0: Welcome to another Model Railroad Hobbyist podcast. On the line today is uh, Jeff Bunza. He's up in Portland. And I'm your host, Paul Gillette. I have no idea where Jim and Chris are. I don't think they could make bail. So we'll catch up with them later. So what we're going to do today is talk about uh, Arduino. Uh, Jeff has had an article in... Uh, December 2016 where he talked about Arduino applications for scenery and so forth and then in March he gets into Arduino for locomotive control (laughs) Uh, yep so I told him I said I'm kind of lost on this I you know it could have been a poor boy sandwich for all I know so when I read the first article, at least I understood why they called it Arduino because the boards and stuff are made by a company, Arduino. Is that uh, Italian?
1: Yeah, uh, not, not all made by, but originally oh, okay. invented by. Okay. They were originally uh, put together by a, a small group in uh, Italy uh, as a teaching tool. Okay to teach uh, uh, basically programming and computers and things like that. Okay. And they, so- it evolved since then into, oh well, something more than that. It kind of felt folded into the maker's movement uh, around the world. Uh, the, the key thing that I think really incentivized people to take a hard look at it was it was powerful enough to be useful. It was all open source, meaning that anybody could take both the software and the hardware, Uh, take it, modify it, manufacture it, uh, even resell it. Uh, And uh, the whole thing just took off. Variations occurred, many variations, both in the hardware and in the software to make it work. And uh, literally hundreds, if not thousands, of libraries and examples uh, were written and posted on the internet. So the combination of it being completely available in all forms and freely uh, downloadable and usable uh, really uh, uh, started the whole thing going some number of years back. Uh, I don't even remember the the first year it came out. But now it's in a myriad of variations.
0: Okay. So as I look at uh, the Arduino board uh, even the big one, the Uno. I see slots, inputs. I see all this. Golly, how do you know what you're doing with it?
1: Well, basically, a good question, particularly for a modeler. the The Arduino boards uh, emphasize different things depending on what you want to do with them. Okay. So, in the December article. Uh, The vast majority of what I talked about was with the UNO board. The UNO board was made so that it would be in a form factor that you could plug additional boards into it to do different things. Like if you wanted to drive a motor, you need additional circuitry that was not on the UNO board, but you could get a second board to plug into the UNO board. And if you look at the UNO board, it's got a row, two rows on either side of the board. Of sockets yes the additional board plugs into those sockets in a standard way all of the additional boards have those rows of, of sockets matching pins so the two boards just plug together and I think that there's actually a picture uh, in the first article yeah on page 10 of boards stacking one on top of the other so one of the reasons I chose the UNO for the article even though it's not the one I use the most, is that it simplifies the assembly and the, the uh, interconnection and interface with additional boards. And so the UNO does that for you. All of the boards are documented. In other words, every single one of those connectors is documented. And if you go to arduino.cc you actually wind up on the landing page in Italy of the Arduino organization that started it all. And they have tutorials, they have examples, they have detailed descriptions. Uh, And in fact, if you have any issue at all using the Arduino, the easiest thing to do is to Google Arduino and then whatever your problem or issue is. So, for example, if you wanted to learn how to drive a stepper motor, You could say Arduino stepper motor, and you would wind up with pages and pages of documentation, tutorials, step-by-step how-to, comments from and projects of people that have already done it. And that is actually what got me to use the Arduino uh, in in the very first form that I used it in. Uh, which was in another variation of the board called a Pro Mini. Okay. Uh, The Pro Mini is smaller and cheaper uh, by about three to one uh, in both size and cost. And the, the thing about using the Arduino that really throws it over in the modeler's favor is that if you want to make it work with another device, a stepper motor, an LED, uh, a motor, a DC motor, uh, a, a servo motor, somebody else somewhere on the planet is likely already coped with that and created a set of, uh, or a software library that when you combine it with your whatever you want to do, makes your life much easier and gives you a starting point. Okay. So the Arduino people themselves realized that uh, a lot of the people who wanted to use an Arduino were, had no interest in the technology, so they created this this what's called a platform. And it, it, from a modeler standpoint, it kind of looks like a fancy editor, and it's software that's available free. You download it from Arduino.cc and load it onto uh, uh, a Mac or a Windows PC or a Linux-based PC. And you can then go and download these libraries or projects that other people have already done, like I presented in the article. And away you go. All you've got to do is download the project or the library, modify it if you want to modify it, and then load it in the Arduino. And basically you've done, they've taken away all the work. That thing that you've loaded into the Arduino tells the Arduino how to behave. It's it, It's the software, it's the control. Arduino doesn't even call it software, they call it a sketch, uh, like a drawing. And the sketch is the software that tells the Arduino what to do. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is that there's an awful lot going on in the background. Uh, there's a lot of software that's, that's relatively sophisticated, that deals with all the variations of hardware, that deals with all the libraries, that gives you an editor that's useful, gives you a way to store your sketches on your computer, and also download them onto all these Arduino variations. All of that is kind of magic and hidden behind the scenes. So if you use these as a model, you don't have to know anything at all about what's really going on behind the scenes. You basically can take a project, like uh, in the first article, I think there's something like, either 28 or 30 projects uh that if you follow the wiring diagrams which are all in pictures so there's no fancy schematics or any kind of technology to get in your way you wire it up the way the picture shows you you download the sketch and all the instructions to do that are with the article and the additional materials and all those projects will all of a sudden come to life uh and both in the article and in, in some most of my blogs, I'd say, what I try to do is to tell people I'm not trying to get anybody to learn programming. I think it's a waste of time for most modelers. But if you can uh, load, edit, and download a sketch uh, and get that to work, you can do a huge amount of really interesting projects. So you create all kinds of lighting effects, even sound effects. Uh, You can control servos to throw switches and tracks. You can do animation with it. uh, And it goes on and on and on. But it's the libraries and the preconceived projects that I think really open a door to modelers, even if they have no interest at all in the technology.
0: Okay. Because I look at the board... And, you know, I read the article, went through it. You know, I picked up the power supply. There was a plug-in, then there was some, uh, like, wire pin adapters where you could put either 5 volts or a variable 5 to 12. Right. And I thought, okay, and you've got your picture of the uh, 110 and then battery packs that could supply this. Right. All right, so the pieces that snap into the board are called shields, correct?
1: That's correct.
0: Okay. And we've got sensor shields, proto shields. So I was looking at your photos, and I'm going, okay, there's a new board, and there's two shields stacked together. And I'm going, how does it work? And then you've already answered part of that question, is that you create a sketch of what you want to do. There's software that interfaces with the uh, Arduino board. Is that through a USB connection? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Uh, And then there's motor shield. I see there's a motor shield on here. Right. So, you know, Miller Advertising has signs, and a lot of them are made to turn around. So you could use an Arduino board to power and light those. Is that correct?
1: Well, I suppose you could use it to power it. Uh, I don't know if you'd want to light it because they have their own controller, Oh, okay. It does the sequencing. So think about what they've done is they've t- taken what in essence is the kind of controller on an Uno and they've embedded it in their package Okay. to go and do all that. So if you take uh, the, the Uno that I give as an example and you go down to one of the sketches where it talks about Uh, lighting like a chase pattern for a marquee. And there's two different examples of that. Either one of those would sequence uh, the lighting for a marquee, like a movie marquee. But you could also, if you slowed it down, you could also use it to sequence uh, a billboard. And it would be very, very similar to the kind of things that some of the uh, Miller advertising signs do. Now, Miller added another neat feature, and that is that uh, they have a button, if I remember right, because I think that they've got a nice product. They have a button that will scramble or step through a whole bunch of different sequences for each of their signs. So if there are, say, five letters on the sign, like uh, Sitco, uh, they'll give you maybe six or seven or eight different ways for the Sitco sign to sequence on and off. Okay. All of that could actually be done in an Arduino. Uh, The examples that I give are really meant to be useful but relatively simple things that people could start with. And some of the examples are similar, and I do that so that uh, those that want to learn could actually look at the different examples and see what's different uh, between them or among them and learn from that to see if they can modify them themselves. But in as much as the sequencing that the Miller signs have, those are examples that are actually contained in different sketches in the article. Okay.
0: The one (laughs) that I thought was fascinating was the uh, sensor, the infrared sensor.
1: Ah, the uh, the PIR sensor. Yes. Yeah, the PIR sensor is a is really a neat kind of sensor. It's it is an IR sensor that's sensitive to a particular wavelength, uh, wavelength of light that uh, is in the infrared range, and the thing that makes it really fascinating is in that uh, if you looked under that plastic globe or whatever we want to call. It, um, That's actually a Fresnel lens that spreads the light uh, or gathers the light onto the correct sensor. Now, it turns out that if you lifted that piece of plastic off, there's a small round uh, device under there about three-eighths of an inch across. Okay. And in that device, there's actually two infrared sensors, and they're side by side. One of them is covered up. And the other one is exposed to the light that that uh, lens gathers. And the interesting thing about it is uh, it's looking kind of out at all the light that that lens gathers. And when uh, a, a, a hot source goes by, like a person, or your hot source. See, I didn't know if you know that you're hot stuff, Paul. So <laughs> okay, you go, thank you. You go by this, this sensor, and it realizes you're hot stuff. And what it does is it compares the uh, radiation you put out versus the uh, radiation on the covered sensor inside. And when it sees something that's warmer than the one inside, it says, okay, I'm going to turn on. And that's how it detects a person going by. Now, if you had a stick that was already at room temperature and you waved it in front of the sensor nothing would happen because it's not warm co- compared to the sensor that's covered up. Okay. When a person goes by, it detects it. So this is a great sensor to have at a club or a show, train show. Uh, and you can actually detect, you know, it's, even if it was partly hidden underneath the table, you can detect when a person walks up. And then turn something on like a, you know, a sound or an animation or a light or, you know, whatever you want to turn on. So it's a, it's a really, you know, neat thing to have around. But it's also the, the precursor to get people to realize there's a wide variety of switches out there because that sensor is actually a, a, a switch that's turned on by heat. And there are sensors for sound for temperature, for frequency, uh, for light of different bands. Uh, Think about it as a switch, like a toggle switch. You have all of these different variations that could be hooked up, and the Arduino can typically uh, easily detect any of them going off. But this one's particularly nice for a show or interacting with somebody going by.
0: Excellent. Or even in a home layout where you've got a you need a third hand, and you could use this to trigger an action.
1: You bet. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So could it also uh, interface with a turnout motor, for instance? A servo? Well,
1: sure. For example, you could use that sensor. Uh, the, the Arduino can detect that when that sensor uh, turns on, and then it could set the servo to a particular uh, position. Or as also in the examples for the servos in the article, it can toggle the servo from one end to the other every time this, the sensor is activated. Ooh, okay. And that that also is, is a little bit of the key of underscoring the value of an Arduino uh, in two ways. One is uh, it can actually perform a whole sequence of actions based on a switch or a sensor it can toggle back and forth and it also has the flexibility that at some point in time in the future if you wanted to change it the the behavior of the switch or the sensor you change it by changing the sketch so that you know unless there is something radically different with the hardware with the sensors with the switches with what it's driving if all of the hardware is the same you can get completely different behavior simply by changing the sketch. And this should become readily apparent to any modeler who reads the article, looks at the video, and realizes that for many, many, many of the lighting sketches, they're all using essentially the same hardware, okay. the same connections to the LEDs, LEDs. So you wind up getting completely different behavior from an LED. You know, in one case, it could look like a strobe. another case, it could look like a, a lighthouse uh, light. In another case, it could look like a beacon on the top of a locomotive. Right. In another case, it could look like a movie marquee. Uh, even, even, you know, um, you you potentially uh, may be old enough to remember the uh, police beacons on police cars from the late 50s and early 60s. It was a single, single light that that actually rotated. Yeah. When you look at that, that's different than a strobe that's on a modern police car. So you can, you can actually change the behavior of the lead entirely by changing the sketch in the Arduino. That's the facility and that's the flexibility it offers.
0: Well, and some of your projects were even simulating TVs so that you could have the flickering
1: light of a TV in a room. Right. And, I found out uh, in a in a kind of an interesting way that that winds up being a really neat thing to have if you kind of put the TV on its side and you've got a room that you could see into uh, with you know if you've got either clear or or dirty glass in the in the the, the building front mm-hmm. when you essentially see into the room. Uh, I actually. Uh, uh, built a couple of those and showed it to people and said, "What kind of TV is in that room?" You know, and if it was a blue flicker, and they were old enough, they'd say, "Oh, that's a that's a black and white TV." And if it was, you know, obviously colored flicker. They'd say, "Oh, that's you know that's a color TV." But there's no picture. All it's doing is flickering, and you can't even see the image. You just see the flicker of the light in the room. So it's a it's a neat effect. And it's not meant to portray a picture as such. Although I suppose you could put a picture on the screen too. But uh, and just to get go beyond where the articles really are in my blog, there's a uh, there's another article called Harry's TV, and Harry's TV actually uses a small color display, actually about a quarter of it, and uh, in a uh, a TV set that's modeled as at the, the first 23 inch RCA Victor, uh, what did they call it? it was a, the, the console display
0: that yeah.
1: round color TV screens. And what I did was I showed how a single Arduino, Arduino, in that case, a pro mini, um, and a, uh, an SD memory card, like are used in cameras and such, uh, could actually take and you could put on that screen, even though it was that tiny, uh, it showed oh, Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, The Man from Uncle and a Bugs Bunny cartoon. And also and also changing channels where when you change channels, it went to snow and, and uh, lost synchronization. and <laughs> With an Arduino, you have all kinds of lighting effects that you can get really carried away with. Uh, But you can generate some really neat things that you otherwise would never see, you know, in in a 187 scale. Okay. Now,
0: embedded in the December article are links to uh, a YouTube video where you show, uh, you know, dynamically some of these projects, how they actually look when you're done.
1: Right. They're in three groups. One uh, oriented towards lighting, Uh, the second oriented towards servo control, Mm -hmm. and the third oriented towards sound. Okay.
0: (laughs) Because when I first read the article and I was going up to it and I clicked it and I went, what the heck's wrong with the sound on this video? (laughs) 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 And then I saw the note, there is no sound on the video.
1: There's actually a there's actually a story behind that. I had for the two that didn't have any sound at all. I actually had uh, strung together a whole bunch of different um, uh, background themes that went in sync with with the uh, the video, except that they were all uh, commercial songs. And so when MRH went to post it, they got the YouTube notice of, "Hey, this is copyrighted material." So I had to take them all out. Otherwise, they wouldn't make their schedule, and all I did was zero them all out. Um, and there, there's a there's a follow-on to that actually to the story, which is in the March article about Arduino's with DCC. I was so fed up with trying to find a decent uh, uh, background sound uh, to the uh, video that I remembered my wife had put together and composed a a uh, instrumental piano instrumental that I I enjoyed and she had put it together like 30, 30 years ago. Yeah. And I asked her to play it, play it again. I recorded it. And that became the background music to the video for the March uh, article video because there was no copyright associated with it. And I gave her credit for it at the end of the, of the video, but it, it, it worked out really, really well. And I was incredibly happy with it.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, you've got to. Uh, I had posted on uh, that uh, photo fun thing that happened to hit on April Fool's, so I posted a uh, short video on there of you know if Rod uh, Serling had had an HO layout, what would it be like? <laughs> and so I op- I opened it up with the I want. At iTunes and Google, or not Google, but search for Twilight Zone, and I found a a I don't know, fifteen second download file that was uh, you know royalty free, and because uh, that's a very distinctive uh, program open, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so that was the uh, the play. That played and then these two cab forwards come into view pulling a Gunderson double stack <laughs> container train and yeah some people thought it was nuts and I put it's April fools <laughs> you know it's a joke but yeah you gotta you have to be very careful everything that I use here on the uh, podcast for background music or some things like that yeah you have to make sure it's always uh, royalty free. Because you don't want Mr. Fugit getting any kind of nasty surprises. Yes, and uh, then I saw the note. Well, that also makes you read the article and the how-to, not just sitting there relying upon the uh, the visuals. Because, I mean, still even after we've talked, I'm looking at uh, some of the projects and the building, you know, we talked about the TV I'm going, okay, I see the board, I see the wires plugged in, looks like a uh, serial plug-in into uh, that silver connector.
1: The silver connector is the USB uh, connection that goes back to the computer.
0: Okay, so that's a serial to USB converter?
1: Right, and it also powers, in this case, it's also powering the board. Okay. Gotcha. So it, it eliminates a little bit of the clutter of me adding the, the power connectors to the board, and then the little PCB is just where I mounted the resistors for the LEDs, and the LEDs are just on the uh, right behind the, the the so-called TV screen that's there. And that's all it is. It's it's three resistors and three LEDs. Okay.
0: Yeah. I see the magnet wire going across. And then you've got them plugged in to the uh, row of inputs that's on the back. Right. Okay. And that's just stripping the wire or using
1: a a uh, connector? Yeah, there's a a set of connectors that I suggested people use. It's on page 20 in uh, figure 13. And you can buy those pre-made. And when you're just putting things together for the first time, it saves a lot of time.
0: Okay, so the black piece that has the wires plugged into it, that's part of that connector set then?
1: Okay, on the Arduino board... The okay, you TV- said
0: page 13?
1: Uh, okay, hold on. Page 24, your TV. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, you see the, the, okay, so that's the black and white TV. So you can yes. see the the two connectors going into the Arduino board. Yes. And they're actually coming, and I think in that particular case, I soldered them right to the the single LED, blue LED behind the TV screen. Yes. That's all it is. Okay. Very straightforward.
0: Okay, and if you weren't powering it through the, Uh, serial USB converter, then you would just use the power plug that's right there. That's correct. Okay, this is starting to gel. I mean, it was just... (laughs) I looked at it and I go, okay, I understand DCC very well,
1: but this is lost. (laughs) I am lost on this. Okay, now it's coming into play. Yeah, there's a little section on how to power the board's one of the things that happens with these boards is you probably have four different ways to power them. Uh, and so you've got you just got to pick which way you want to power them. In all the cases, I think in my examples, I think this is correct. Uh, I'm powering it from the USB connector, which gives the board five volts from the USB channel. But that black barrel connector on the Arduino Uh, uno that can go to like a wall wart connector with a barrel connector you can also connect directly to those uh, black connectors Uh, you can put in uh, five volts and uh, ground, or i think you can also connect yeah i'm pretty sure you can connect directly into that as well and there's there's something that's usually labeled raw raw and that will go to the uh, uh, voltage regulators on the board. But the easiest way for people to connect to it is really through that barrel, the black barrel connector and a, uh, a wall wart or some kind of power supply that connects to it's the easiest way. Okay. All right. Now, since we're looking at the monochrome TV on that page, Yes. On page twenty-three of the same article, the the um, is the building lighting uh, uh, sketch and, and project. Yes. Random that's building the, lights. Yeah, that's the project that I tell people: if you want the simplest, fastest, best effect that will wow people on your layout, go and use that, because all it does is randomly turn on all of those uh, room lighting. And the thing you have to do is to make sure that you don't have light leakage from room to room. But it's a great effect. It can be put in any building with any number of windows. And instead of having these background buildings just be dark all the time, uh, they can come to life and do all kinds of things. Uh, I've had many, many people copy that sketch, put that on their layout and then write me and say, that had a big effect. I mean, people actually started to notice that. Uh, so that, that that's one that I really recommend. If people want to have a uh, a really neat animation effect that's relatively simple to do, that's the one to do it.
0: Okay. I can imagine it would be very dramatic in a darkened
1: room. Even in, when it's not in a darkened room, the LEDs are bright enough to notice. And, and even if you've got fluorescent lighting in the room, you'll notice it. And in particular, you'll notice it because since the rooms are are blocked out in the back of the window, not to let light go from room to room, it's very clear when they're dark and very clear when they're on. Okay,
0: very important. Now, yeah. how big of an LED are you using? Uh, 0402s or 603s? What size are you putting in there?
1: Well, uh, on those rooms? Yeah. I'm actually using a 5-millimeter LED. It's oh, okay. Standard size. They call it a T1 And the reason I use those is they were dirt cheap. I think I got them for a particular piece.
0: (laughs) That would meet my criteria.
1: Right. And uh, one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that if you buy white LEDs, uh, even the ones that have kind of a bluish tint to them, you can make them any color you want by painting them with Tamiya clear acrylic which comes in a variation of colors. So you, you can get a yellow color from it, you can get a bluish color from it, like for, for fluorescent lighting. Uh, you can get a red effect, you know, a green effect, uh, whatever you want. Uh, and you can mix, since they're acrylic colors, even though they're clear, you can mix the colors to get any color you want. And they can be very, very, very effective. Maya clear acrylic and I've not- yeah yeah and I've noticed more and more um, local hobby stores carrying it and I often wondered if it was because a lot of people are using it to color white LEDs now but it can be very effective the other thing about that building uh, that I don't yeah that project doesn't point out but all of those windows in the building, Uh, except where there's an animation behind the window, are actually uh, just clear styrene, but they're sprayed with dull coat. Ah, okay. And and it doesn't look like a frosted window. What it looks like is a dirty window. And so the effect is, is really, really good if you have LED lighting where you don't have any detail in the room because the dull coat acts as a light diffuser. And so it you look like you got a more even light coming from the building. Okay.
0: But there's, s- all,
1: there's all kinds of neat things that you can play with with, with those uh, LED lights. I I don't think I've got I don't think I've s i have I see a window in that particular picture that is going to demonstrate what I want. But it turns out if you uh Point the LED out the window and slightly up at the ceiling. You'll get an effect that looks like the um, actually you can tell a little bit from the top windows. You'll get an effect as if you have a light uh, a ceiling light on in the, in the room. You point the LED down to the floor or up at the ceiling, you'll wind up with a room light that where it looks like the entire room is lit up. More like the the middle window in the third floor of of the building. Okay. But by by placing the LED carefully relative to where the window is, you can make it look like you've got a lamp on a on a table, or an overhead light, or just general lighting for the room. It so you you wind up getting different effects out of it. If you leave if you use the uh, if you use an LED that has kind of a blue tint to it. That's a white LED. It makes for great fluorescent lighting. Okay.
0: Yeah, that's a that is a good effect, and I see. Yes, top floor looks like it's ceiling lights.
1: Right. Yes. Okay. So just by being careful about how you place the LED in the room, you wind up with different effects, and that was one of the things that got me thinking about that TV that's on on the next project, on the next page, Mm -hmm. is that by placing that TV inside the room, you'll get an effect as if somebody's watching that TV. And you'll be hard-pressed to say that it's anything but a TV.
0: (laughs) Okay. Now, where do I go to buy Arduino locally? Or just in a... What kind of store carries them?
1: Okay, tons of places, and in fact, I think there's a there's a list towards the end of the article. Somewhere. Oh, okay. Or maybe at the beginning of the article, I can't can't remember where to, where to, I think it's at the beginning of the article. Anyway, to answer your question directly, uh, lots and lots and lots of places sell Arduino's. Now, even though they went bankrupt for the second time, Radio Shack used to sell Arduino's. Uh, Fry sells Arduino's. Oh, okay. Uh, Believe it or not, I saw. I, I, I'm trying to think if it was Walmart where I saw an Arduino being sold, but they're all over the place. And if you Google, oh by the way, you can also get them from Amazon.com. Uh, right? You can you if, can get
0: a heart transplant from Amazon.com. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm going to take your word on that, Paul. <laughs> Um, But you can get you can get all of these um, off of the net. Uh, There's a lot of local stores around here. There's probably, I don't know, maybe a half a dozen local stores that that would sell them. Okay. Uh, but if you really want them dirt cheap, uh, I'd certainly do a a Google search. If you want them either even cheaper with a two week delay on delivery, uh, you can get them off of eBay. The. uh, the Arduino Uno, the cheapest I've seen for that on eBay was about six dollars. The cheapest I've seen for a Pro Mini on eBay is about the dollar sixty. So they're 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 not wildly expensive. The Pro Mini is is so inexpensive that uh, I usually buy them by the ten or twenty count and I use them as if they were just another component. Uh, Okay. cheap that I had to change my way of thinking about using them. Usually when I build something like that, I'm trying to cram as many functions as I can into a a single board, and I've stopped doing that as uh, essentially a waste of my time Uh, because these things are so cheap that – well, what I usually tell my uh, clinics uh, when I give them – Is that if uh, I I come from the electronics industry, uh, that was where I spent my career years, and I don't know how to build a Pro Mini for less than two bucks. In fact, I'm not sure I could build and deliver a Pro Mini for less than five. Okay. That's in quantity of like 10,000. You would be really hard pressed to figure out how they're selling these things for that cheap. Okay. Now,
0: over on, uh, oh, picture 22 and 23, which is page thirty-four, thirty-three 33 and 34 in the article. What we have are uh, sub micro size servos and then a single servo and switch. Right. Uh, what would you do with the... Uh, the one on the right there, the single servo being controlled by that uh, switch.
1: What? Right. Well, this, the switch is kind of put in there for uh, humorous sake. Oh. Um, I wanted people oh. to be absolutely clear. This is a simple switch. Um, <laughs> okay. All of those servos. A lot, I, I do that in a lot of my articles, and most of the time, nobody even notices what I do. <laughs> I get so disappointed when I go out of my way to do something weird. All of those servos are exactly the same size. They're what's called 9G, 9-gram servos. Okay. And the 9-gram, the I was originally told, referred to the weight of the servo. And since a lot of these servos are built for the RC airplane community, weight is a real big deal. There's actually servos that are – I know that there's at least two servos that are smaller in size than these. The feature about these, which continues with the theme that you'll sometimes associate with me, is that they're dirt cheap. Uh, You can get these servos uh, for about a buck 60. If you go to your local hobby store, you can probably get them for about 11 bucks and they're much better quality. Uh, These are being made in the thousands in China and the quality is, let's say it's a mixed bag. If you order ten servos, I had a friend of mine say, "If you order ten servos, expect that seven of them are going to work, uh, three of them are not going to work, one of them is going to work really poorly, and the other six are going to be usable." And it's still cheaper than buying them anywhere else. <laughs> okay. So, uh, the single servo or the the you know any collection of servos, uh, I actually got interested in using them in animation. And the reason I got interested in them was for the very simple reason that the the little arm that mounts on that that white nub that comes out the top, that typically will give you about, let's say, 140 degrees of arc. In theory, it's supposed to give you 180. These guys almost never do. Uh, And you'd probably have to get a really, a much more expensive servo to give you The complete 180 degree of arc. However, it turns out for things that I use, which is in animation and in throwing switches, uh, AKA switch tracks, uh, you don't need 180 degree of swing. In fact, you probably, in most of the cases, aren't going to use a lot more than 100 degrees of swing. The neat thing about a servo is that if I start it at, say, Uh, a 30 degree position and then i swing it to a 90 degree position if i tell it to go back to the 30 degree position it's almost exactly in the same place so i can go from position one to position two with a servo with a high degree of repeatability and accuracy okay if you think about it dc motor trying to do that even with a gear box associated with it. So, well, think about it like this. Take a, a, a diesel or a steam engine, a loco, put it on your track. Make it go forward 12 inches. Time that. Okay, say it takes uh, three seconds to go forward 12 inches. Make it go backwards three seconds. You won't be at the same starting point most of the time. And then if you reverse it and go forward again for three seconds, you won't be at the same forward point you were when you started. Okay. And the reason for that is the slop in the gearbox, the uh, friction on startup, the friction along the way are all variations that interfere with this being repeatable. The thing that's different about a servo is inside the servo, there's actually a special little bit of electronics that actually looks at the position with another piece of electronics and compares it with where you asked it to go. When the two line up correctly, it stops. So when you tell it, go to position one, whatever position one is, it actually, in effect, knows where position one is for that servo. When you tell it to go position two, It goes and finds position two until it knows where position two is and stops. That's hugely different with a servo than it is with a DC motor or a lot of other things. And that repeatability is great in animation. It also happens to be great if you want to throw a switch in a track. Okay. So you get repeatability there and you get accuracy enough that they're worth taking a good look at. The difficulty is you don't operate them with a, with an, uh, a switch like you would um, a dual solenoid switch motor or even um, – uh, oh, gosh. What's the uh, the more commonly used switch motor now? Oh, a tortoise? A tortoise. Okay. So a, a tortoise, you drive from end to end until yeah. it stalls out. Hence, yes. it's called a stall motor. Right. So when it gets to the end of travel, it literally has a hard stop. So it's repeating the hard stop from end to end, but it's a mechanical stop. It's not an electrical stop. And in fact, typically with a a stall motor tortoise, you you continue to drive it to keep tension against the uh, track switch to keep it in place. Uh, With a servo, you can actually turn the servo off and it's not gonna move anywhere. Uh, So you can actually uh, make the servo move from position to position, turn the servo off, and then when you want to get it to move again, you can turn it back on again. So the way that it works is completely different, but a servo requires a much more complex controller in order to make it move. And here's a great example of where arduinos uh, have a big advantage on a lot of different other approaches there are many libraries written to control servo motors with arduinos and in fact there's a standard there's there's two standard libraries that I use uh, to control uh, servo motors and uh, yeah, they're very you know they're accurate they're repeatable and they're really easy to use and here's a, a significant thing you actually need only one pin from the Arduino to drive the servo motor. The other two wires that you see with the servo motor are black and red, and that's simply, uh, in this particular case, uh, the plus 5-volt power going to the servo. Okay. All right, and that's it. You need one line directly from the Arduino to control the servo, and you got full servo control. That's the advantage there. That switch, that funny-looking knife switch (laughs) it's figure 23, Yes, uh, all that does uh, and all that's used for uh, with the sketch that's loaded into the Arduino is to move that single servo from end to end. So when it's closed, it's one end. When it's opened, it's at the other end. So for that particular project, that's all it does. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. And if, if you move on, you know, uh, in the servo section there, uh, I'm trying to get my my mouse to cooperate here. Okay, if you move on to that, you'll go down to picture 25. Picture 25 actually was an, uh, a, a piece of a response and somebody from Europe emailed me about. And what they wanted was they wanted a, servo control that was push button controlled so that you press the push button and the servo would go from end to end but they also wanted a a light indicator for it uh so in this case an led well nominally the the push button would require a pin from the arduino the led would require a, a pin from the arduino and the servo would require a pin so we were starting to run out of pins so I came up with the diagram and the circuit that is uh, picture 24, that if you follow that and hook that up, and you, you group six of them together so that you wind up with picture 25, you can actually control six independent servos uh, with that, uh, that arrangement. Now it turns out it doesn't use up all the pins that are available. You can actually add two more. So there's another sketch where you can control eight servos. And there's another concept that people have called root control. And root control simply means that if I throw a single switch, I want a collection of switches to be thrown in a particular arrangement. So I might have, uh, you know, a yard lead in through a yard throat. And I want uh, a route through the yard and out, you know, uh, on back onto the main. So that might be position one. Well, there's a third sketch that lets you take. I can't remember. I guess it's as many as eight, as many as eight servos with this arrangement, and you can wire up the eight servos so that each each push button, one selected, simply. picks up another root. So you can have that many roots as, as you have buttons, and it'll rearrange all of the servos in whatever pattern you specify to uh, make that root work. And that's probably, I think that that's the most sophisticated um, uh, uh, Arduino sketch that's there for the servo control.
0: And what you just described is a miniaturized uh, electronic based interlocking tower. Yes. With a guy correct. up there throwing levers to move switches to route trains through yard jackage. Right. It's amazing. That's, okay.
1: That's correct. All right. And a couple of people uh, that have put out blog posts on MRH are using very similar systems to this to do route control through their yards. And it's reliable and it works. And uh, uh, there are different schemes you can come up with. There are different kinds of panels that you can come up with. Uh, That particular set of switches and LEDs, as it turns out, if you replicated it, you could have that set of switches and LEDs at either end of the yard with the same Arduino just connected in parallel. And so you'd have the the yard control and root control through the yard able to be set up at either end of the yard. I mean, if that that was something that that was desirable, I know I know of a couple of people that actually have gone and implemented that.
0: Okay, all right. So we've got lights. Now we've controlled servos, and we can also do SD cards
1: and for sound. sounds. Right.
0: I was just going to say, I'm looking over at page 46, uh, picture 28, where you've got a, uh, it's your sound setup too, a little iPhone, uh, uh,
1: a little sugar cube. Right, little iPhone speaker. Uh, The neat thing about that is it doesn't require a baffle or anything. I've been using those for for demos, and it's only about a sixteenth of an inch thick, believe it or not. And the sound coming out of it is quite loud and, and pretty good. And anyway, that's that's why I started using them in my demos. Okay. Uh, the white thing that's on top of yeah, what is that? That's a, a prototyping shield. It's called a prototyping shield, and all it does is give you that little white block, and each one, group of those five uh, uh, darkened holes are where you can stick in wires, and those each group of five is connected together. Okay. So each group of five, if you stick two wires in the same group of five, they will be connected together. So the little module that sits in the middle of the white block is actually the thing that's going to generate the sound. So it's like a
0: little miniature amplifier?
1: Amplifier and um, uh, stereo generator. Okay. What it does is... If you look at the the top of that little uh, module, uh, you'll see the the silver area there with a little white a little black block at the top of it. That's the top, that's the top of a micro SD card. So it's a, it's a memory card or a storage card, and it literally slides in there. It's spring loaded, and you put whatever you want to here on that little card in mp3 or uh, wav format and uh, there's a way of organizing it that's documented in the additional documentation and the, each project will tell you very explicitly uh, how to label them or how to number them uh, so that you get the right results but that has all of the sounds that you want to play now here's the neat thing the sounds could be three hours long or the sounds could be a hundred milliseconds long. Right. So think of those each as a little MP3 uh, file that's on that memory card. Right. So each one of those little files is what I call a sound clip, just a piece of sound. Yes. So what you have here is several different ways of picking up and playing the different sound clips that are gonna be on that card. And the first couple of uh, example, couple of of sound examples are relatively simple. I think all they are are bells for a crossing signal. And there are actually two kinds of bells for crossing signals, there's probably more, but these are the ones that are in the projects. Years ago, when the bell sounded, The bell was actually hooked electrically to the circuit that flashed the light on the crossbucks. So every time the light changed and flashed, the bell would go ding in synchrony with the lights flashing. Now, it turned out later on, they started making bell assemblies that were self contained. And they had a little device in it that was like a relay. And the bell, once it was turned on, would go ding, 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 all by itself and not synchronized with anything else. So they would still flash the lights on the crossbar, but the bell would actually go at a faster pace. Both of these are simulated in these projects. You have one where you can synchronize the lights and sound and one where you don't have the synchrony of the lights and sound. And uh, that's, that's all part of this. The rest of the projects for sound are basically playing uh, specific soundtracks that you might select. Like uh, I think there's one that, uh, yeah, different Arduino pins, if you connect them to ground or low, uh, will play a different sound clip. So if you have, say, six sound clips, one, two, three, four, five, six, if you ground pin whatever the first one is, three or two, if you ground that pin, it'll play the first clip. If you ground the next one, it'll play the next one, et cetera. So you can actually select, either with switches or a sensor or something else, uh, what sound comes out at different times. So for this example, remember the uh, the PIR people sensor we talked about before? Yes. Okay. If you connected that sensor up to one of those switches, one of those connections, what would happen is uh, when the person came by, you could play something like, you know, greetings, pilgrim. Welcome to our layout, you know, or whatever. Um, Or, uh, you know, uh, beware, violators will be eaten, you know, whatever you want to play. Uh, You can create whatever sound you want. Uh, There's also a way to. Play uh, all of the tracks in a random pattern that's another variation um, yeah that's uh, at the top of page 45 uh, and so you, you can wind up doing all kinds of nifty things with sound and then I probably the most complicated uh, project I think that's in the entire set this is the last one yeah is the uh, thunderstorm the yeah, thunderstorm yes right and that's uh, the project is on picture 20 29 and 30 so it, it again it's using a, a small Arduino the one I used in that is is a pro mini that's actually a, a, a box I made that okay. I call thunderstorm in a box and everything about creating the thunderstorm is in the box and those two orange things are relays that the Arduino control, you can see the sound module. Uh, next to the sound module at the bottom, there's a connector that goes actually to an audio cable that goes out to an amplified speaker. And uh, one of the fun things I, I've done in years past is when I've given a clinic on, on sound, I'll actually put a delay in there of like uh, 10 minutes or something so that I'll turn it on somewhere in the middle of my uh, uh, clinic, knowing full well nothing's going to happen for 10 minutes. And then the whole sequence of a thunderstorm approaching you and then moving away from you occurs. So it starts out with the rumble of thunder and the distance very low. It gets louder and louder. And as it gets louder, you see flashes of uh, two strobes. And those orange relays are what's triggering the strobe. And you can actually see the strobe that I've used on page 49. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a completely self-contained unit that you can buy off of Amazon for about 20 bucks. And they're nice and bright, and they do all the right things. Um, so you wind up with a thunderstorm approaching, getting louder and louder. And because I used an amplified speaker the crash when it's right on top of you is, is, is loud and it, and then it moves off and uh, gradually, you know, it dies out. And so in the clinic, all this is going on in the background and I'm talking about something else. And the sound of the thunderstorm is coming closer and closer. And then finally the flashes start to catch people's eyes and stuff. And I usually time it so that the real crashes occur when I start talking about the thunderstorm in the box. But this is the essence, this project is the essence of the thunderstorm, controlling uh, synchronized both sound and, and lighting. In this case, the lighting is not a LED, but it's uh, a, simple, a simple strobe that's used in photography as a slave strobe. So all you need it to do is to uh, use the relay as, as a switch to, uh, set the strobe off. The reason why you need two strobes is they take time to recharge. And sometimes as the storm gets closer and closer, you want the lightning and thunder to, to get closer and closer together. And you can't do that with one strobe. The, re- the recharge time is too long. And that's the reason for the two strobes. But I've had people go and build this and, uh, kind of like the uh, the background building lighting with the windows coming on and off at random. Uh, this could be a very, very effective thing to have uh, in a club layout or in a demo or you know even just to entertain yourself on your own layout. Amazing. And it's a lot of fun.
0: Uh, it reminds me of the albums we used to be able to buy in the 60s and 70s, like the Thunderstorms, uh, commingled with uh, train sounds
1: yep, yep yep
0: 33 and a third albums and yep. stereo
1: yep but you can, you can generate a, a, a wide range of actually relatively high quality sound the 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 in this particular case that little module can actually generate some very high quality sound if you use a uh, you don't use the amplifier that's built into it there's oh, okay. Mono three watt amplifier okay. that actually adds the left and right channel. But if you pick off the left and right channel, like I do with the thunderstorm uh, example, and you put it through an amplified speaker, you actually get very high quality sound out of it, almost CD quality, not quite, but almost. And it could be very very effective for background sounds, you know, sound of a a stream or machinery or a roundhouse, or a train passing in the night, uh, or a thunderstorm, you know, uh, or sounds at, at the seashore. Um, y- you can get really, really neat sounds. There's a, a, a gentleman that has done some incredible work with background sounds specifically for um, uh, layouts. Uh, that He has a small firm called Ph- uh, Fantasonics, and he sells these packaged discs that could be played very high quality and very, very nicely done. But there are also many places on the web where you can download specialty sounds uh, for free. They have libraries of sounds. So you could get things like uh, a fire hose or a, uh, the sound of a, of a police siren from 1940 uh, or the sound of, of glass breaking or the sound of a chainsaw, you know, you know, whatever you want. So you can put these things together with a, a free audio editors that are available, and create, you know, your uh, a world of sound for your layout, and uh, it can be really interesting.
0: Wow! Yeah, I that that is such a neat touch. The uh, the weather. <laughs> <laughs> the weather coming in, uh, and people probably looking around, like going, "Wait a minute! There's not a cloud in the sky." <laughs> oh,
1: you! It, it's just a hoot to see the reactions.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my windows are down. Wait a minute! There's no clouds out there.
1: Oh. The first, the first rumbles usually one, one or two people catch it, not the entire crowd. <laughs> the third, by the third rumble, they're looking at each other like. Did I hear that? <laughs> Where did that come from? Is there a storm coming? <laughs> yes.
0: Oh, gosh. All right. Do you have time to talk about DCC using I Arduino? Sure. I sure do. Okay. So now we're going to talk about DCC projects using the Arduino. This is in the March issue. And I'm looking at uh, one of your pictures. It looks like an Athern hustler. Right. With an Arduino decoder, is that right? That's what it is—an
1: Arduino that, decoder. That is, that is completely correct. You can see the little Pro Mini that's mounted on top of a little board. Yeah. That little board, I, you, there's a file that you can download from the article. Additional materials. You can send that board off to any of a number of of suppliers. They'll make the board for you, and you can actually create that exact board. Wow that compact and so the bill of materials and everything else uh, is all described and including how you know uh not not the really knit technical details of how it works but how to put it together you know the variations that that you can have this thing started in a bizarre way uh, animation is my lo- my great love not building arduino based projects <laughs> And what I wanted originally was I wanted a, a, a decoder that would turn on all those lights that you saw in one of those buildings that we talked about before. And so I needed lots and lots of pins to turn on lots and lots of lights. So I looked at all over the net to see if anybody had created a, an Arduino library. And I had previously been working with an Arduino library that acted as a base station, which I had gotten lots and lots of use at, out of for animation, uh, by a gentleman who, who created a library called Commander, Commander Arduino. And uh, great library, but it was not a decoder library. And I found three or four decoder libraries on the net, uh, three of which I thought were really deficient in terms of function. They all worked. They all did useful things. But there was one library written by uh, a, a really great modeler in New Zealand named, uh, um, oh, God, uh, Shepherd, Alex Shepard. And Alex created the NMRA DCC library and put it up on the web, and it had uh, I'm, I'm going to, he, he may not like this, but it basically, it stayed there. I uh, would not much use. It, it looked to me like not much, many examples were ever written for it. Uh, and I saw nobody who had picked it up and actually built a working decoder with it. Okay. So, but it looked like it was the most complete to me. So I started playing with it and I had some difficulty with it at, at the beginning and, uh, wrote to him and he very nicely wrote back and it was a great help. Later on uh, we collaborated and he changed the library based on some of the things that he saw with with the decoder series. But the first decoder was not on a nice neat little board. It was all by itself. It was hand-wired and the reason it was hand-wired was it actually really doesn't have a lot of connections to it. Um, so I was able to hand wire it on a little, on a much larger board, about four times as large as that thing. And lo and behold, it didn't work. And it didn't work not because of the, the library and the, these, the sketches, it didn't work because I couldn't get a reliable DCC uh, decoder to work. And it all had to do with the noise that was on my lab bench. When I took it out to my layout, which was a tiny little layout, everything worked fine, but when I brought it back to my lab bench, nothing worked. And I must have spent about three weeks on it, trying to figure out how to make this thing work, two weeks of which were trying to figure out what was wrong with it. And it uh, it used what I thought was a relatively standard kind of circuit to decode the DCC, but as it turns out, it was noise-prone. And I noticed that another modeler I think in Europe, had used a a particular kind of filter to get rid of the noise in a different place. And I looked at that and I said, that's that's kind of overkill for what I want to do. And it must have added another six components, which I didn't want to do. So I got a hold of another engineering friend of mine, and we talked about it for a while. And he suggested putting in a, a, a very simple filter by adding, believe it or not, one component. I added that and experimented with it. And lo and behold, the whole thing worked and wow. it worked solidly every time. So now I had a working basic decoder that would light, turn on and off 17 LEDs. Right. With, which it was a, uh, based as a mobile decoder. And I put it up on my blog and I started to get an unbelievable number of responses. And they never stopped. And people would say, is this something I could use for this? Is this something I could use for that? And about, you know, after the first couple of hundred comments about, can I use this to drive a servo uh, to switch a switch track? I kept thinking, you know, the the answer to this is obviously yes. Uh, Why hasn't somebody done it? Well, somebody specifically asked if I could give them ideas on how to modify it to do it. And I started writing the response and realized I could go and redo the sketch in the time that it would take for me to go and tell them how they should go and redo the sketch. So I did that and posted it. And the response to that was more overwhelming than the response to the LEDs. And it got, as I write in the article, completely out of control. Um To the point where i came up with a way that each pin each of the 17 uh, pins you could have uh by changing the cv because it has a whole bunch of cvs inside of it uh each pin in fact has four cvs associated with a particular or is it five with a particular pin and one of those cvs says what's the function that will be carried out on that pin so It could drive 17 LEDs, it could blink 17 LEDs, it could drive 17 servos, it could blink in tandem two LEDs next to one another. Um, I'm trying to think of what all the variations are. It, It just went on and on and on, so that now the latest version I think has either, I think it's six functions that you can select per pin of 17 pins in any order, and it'll keep track of the timing and everything else associated with it. But then there were a number of people in Europe that had signaling systems that uh, were very different than most of ours. They reminded me a little bit, of, are you familiar with the um, the signaling system in the, the circle uh, that the Long Island Railroad and Pennsylvania Railroad used to use? Vaguely, vaguely. Okay. So. Think about lines like a semaphore in groups of three lights arranged in a circle so that you can move the semaphore arm of the three lights um, horizontally, vertically, or at 45 degrees. Think of it like that. Okay. So, so now you've got all these these all these lights in the signal target. Well, in Europe, in certain countries they have doubled the number in two targets. And the mechanisms that were available for modelers to control that in Europe were really complicated. So somebody wrote in and said, you know, it would really be neat if I could do this. Well, remember in the uh, the previous article where you had root control, where a single push button rearranged, say, uh, eight servos? Yes. Well... Think about this as a single function would rearrange, say, I can't remember, eight eight LEDs. And what you needed to do was to select a particular function and specify the group of LEDs that needed to be turned on and off. So there was another decoder that was written for that, and the guy went crazy. And then another one said, well, um, I've got not as many targets as that, but the thing I really liked about the signaling systems here in my country is that they fade on and fade off. They don't just come on uh, like an LED would just snap on. Mm -hmm. Can you do something to fade them on and fade them off? Well, that was another function that got added to fade, fade an LED on and fade it off. Um, I'm trying to think of all the other ones that came through. Then with the article, uh, besides all the very – and I think that there were uh, 18 variations of of decoders, but realized that, that there were 18 major variations of decoder sketches that you could load. And the, a whole bunch of them were, were pre-configured so that they didn't even have to go and mess with CVs if they didn't want to for, for groups of LEDs and servos and mm-hmm. – Blinking and non-blinking and paired blinking and all this other stuff. Beyond that, uh, this particular article, I uh, wanted to put something new into it other than try to clean up all the documentation, which I hope was better than, than my blogs. This actually was uh, came out in like four different blog articles. So this started, I think, in... 2012 or 2013 years ago. I don't don't. I think it may say in in the uh, article when it actually all started. Um, The thing that got added to this article were two more uh, different kinds of servos. Oh oh. Before I go into that, uh, there's also a servo that would control two motors, and uh, they would control the two motors independently with a speed control. like you would control a loco, except you had um, a function, two functions that would toggle on and off so that if you change the speed, if the particular motor function was on, it would actually change and remember the speed that that motor was supposed to be set for. So you you could operate both motors at once, you can turn one motor on, change the speed, turn it off and go and set the speed for the second motor independently So the motor control, when the board was created, the the little board with the Atheron Hustler, underneath, literally, believe me or not, underneath the the little Arduino board is another integrated circuit called the dual H-bridge, and that's the heart of the motor control. And that will control two one-amp DC motors. And you actually also have the ability to set it so that uh, you can control uh, 0 to 5 volts or 0 to 12 volts. You, you can pick which one you want it uh, to go and use it for. Okay. Now, the reason for that was because, I'm my, again, my goal is oriented around animation. And I've got a lot of very small motors in animated projects that are 3 to 5, 3 to 6 volt motors. So that was the reason that that, that was put in there. So you had motor control, you had servo control, you had lead control, you had all this other stuff. The, the two big things that were added uh, to the article in terms of new decoders was uh, there was one or two uh, uh, decoder sketches that were added to control stepper motors. And a, a stepper motor requires uh, even uh, more complex control than a servo does.
0: Give me an example of a stepper motor.
1: Okay. Uh, okay, I'll give you an example that you're probably already familiar with. Okay. You have a, 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 a camera taking a picture. Yes. And you can control the iris, the opening in the lens. The iris typically does not have a smooth uh, uh, set of openings. It, you actually click it. Yes. Yes. Each click represents a different setting, like a notch on a, a loco throttle, diesel loco throttle. Okay, a stepper motor, instead of continuously driving a motor, has a se- uh, like a DC motor has a set of coils, and the coils are arranged so that it just nudges the armature one notch, and depending on the design of the stepper. That notch could be as little as, say, a half of a degree or even a tenth of a degree uh, of a 360 degree circle. Okay. Now, you also have lots and lots of cheap steppers that, when they notch the stepper, it goes 18 degrees, which is noticeable and pretty big. You can also have a stepper, like a, and think about a stepper as just this weird kind of motor that has a different control. You can have a stepper motor that goes into a gearbox, which is my favorite kind to use. The reason for that is even if the stepper jiggles or notches at 18 degrees, if you put it into a gearbox, the gearbox could go 300 to 1. So if you take that 18 degree step and divide it by 300, you have a very, very fine step. So the stepper motor with a gearbox can actually turn an axle with such very fine steps that it looks to you like it's not notched, it's literally continuous, except it's not. Now, here's the big thing about a stepper motor. If you've got the right controller, you can count steps. So you can move it 100 steps forward and it'll move to that position and here's the the, the the neat thing. Like a servo, if you tell it to go back to the original position with a stepper, if you move it a hundred steps back and you're careful how you do it, it'll go back to exactly the same position. Okay. What would be
0: an application for that?
1: Ah, turntable control.
0: Okay. I wondered. All right. You confirmed I, that.
1: All right. Another, another application, semaphores. Okay you can get the the control so fine that you won't you'll barely be able to see the blade of the semaphore moving it's a lot tougher to do that with a servo can be done but it's a lot tougher okay now if you push a, a, a stepper motor too fast occasionally it skips a step so if you really want to count steps so that you have accuracy you can't go too fast with a stepper. But if you try to drive a stepper really fast, you can get it to go really fast. But sometimes you'll 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 skip a step. And in a lot of cases it won't matter. You may get a little bit of a jiggle, but if you're operating it you know fast enough, you know, it'll just keep going. But in animation, the trick is not to make things go fast. It's How do you make things go incredibly slow and smooth? And so servos and stepper motors were a godsend for animation. And that's that was my big interest in in steppers. Okay. And the neat thing about steppers is for about four bucks from China, you can buy a five volt stepper motor that's geared, that has like a thousand steps to make a full revolution. Those are really useful. Wow! And it turns out that they're um, they're about as big as the motor that you would put in uh, a narrow gauge HO steam locomotive. So they're not big at all. So the the big advantage to the the new release with the uh, article of the Arduino uh, decoder library is that you can do stepper control with it, and I actually don't know of another decoder that'll do stepper motor control, but I suppose that there's some, some commercial one out there, probably Europe. Uh, but I don't know of any. So stepper motors were uh, uh, one of the new features. The last new feature was sound. The decoder, uh, you saw with the first article, the use of that little module that was called an M- MP player module. And that little module uh, can be driven with uh, uh, just a couple of wires from the Arduino. So uh, uh, with, uh, with different functions, you can actually select different sound clips to be played. And I've got, I think, one function in there where if you select the function, it will randomly go through and pick up all the sound clips that you've got on the uh the little memory card that goes into it and play them at random so those were the big additions with the article uh and there's there's at least one or two more that are waiting in the wings there's um uh, um there's a more sophisticated sound module sound decoder that i'll be coming out with that will allow you to synchronize sound with uh, a switch like um Uh, a a cam on a steam locomotive DCC decoder. You'll be able to do that with the sound decoder. And I I had a request for another one. I can't remember what the other one is. But I'm trying to get away from doing lots and lots and lots of new ones unless they're aligned with uh, what I need to get done in animation. Because I think we're on... Release five, the next one will be 5.7 or 5.8. So there have been a lot of releases, um, mostly because people have come in and said, hey, uh, can you do this? Do you think that this is a neat idea? I mean, you can even get pulsed output from this that if you put it through an external driver, you can drive a twin coil switch machine um, and control the timing of the pulses. That was one of the requests. But there's probably, oh, uh, there's probably over 200 modelers that have either contributed, used, built, commented, uh, or made these decoders already. They've been tried out in in virtually every DCC system and base station you can think of including the, the European variations. And as near as I can tell, at least 2,000 of them have been built. There's two places in Europe that asked, that one of them asked permission to build them and sell them. And there's a group uh, in California, I think, that, I think I've got them listed in the Arctic, I can't remember, that uh, are also building and selling the board at cost. So you can get them lots of different ways. You can, you can buy one or you can uh, go get all the parts in the board and put them together yourself. The only thing you really need to do is to know how to solder.
0: Okay, so this little board that, going back to the uh, the Hustler, picks up the uh, the power and the binary code from the track just the way a traditional DCC decoder would.
1: That's correct. Generates its own power, a clean DCC, a clean DC power. The Arduino does the interpretation of the DCC commands it gets and then takes whatever action is appropriate for the sketch that was loaded into it.
0: Okay, so we've got the, the Pro Mini is on top. Right. Then there's, looks like a purple board beneath it. That's the one you were talking about, the
1: custom-made piece. Can, yep. cost you about four bucks at uh, the place that I get it made, OSH Park. I understand if you send to China, you can get it made for like $1.96. <laughs> okay.
0: What's the little green board under the purple board that's at the rear under
1: the cab? Oh, that's the little uh, voltage regulator that will run cool. That's a special kind of voltage regulator called a switcher. And it doesn't require a heat sink and it runs absolutely cool, great little device. The original one that I used and a traditional one that people, most people know about will run so hot, uh, depending on, you know, if you're driving the motor or whatever else you're doing it ran hot enough that I started to wonder whether or not it would deform the plastic. So, uh, even with a little tiny heatsink on it. So, I started using these things. They work like a champ. They're smaller and they run cold.
0: Electronics and heat don't always go together.
1: No, particularly in little tiny models.
0: Yeah, I was speed matching a couple locomotives today and I've When I was done, I picked them up and I went, wow, that little baby's warm. (laughs) Got to
1: be careful. There are some coders that run hot, particularly some of the old ones.
0: Yeah, well, these are first-generation tsunamis, the hardwired version. So uh, they don't get that much use anymore. But Okay, so everything that's on the purple board, whatever's there, resistors diodes whatever that comes with that board because he's made that for you that way
1: no that board that board is ordered as a blank board with holes in it and, and you drop the components in it you solder it to the up op- to the bottom of the board
0: okay and that is in some of the uh, supporting literature that tells me what all those
1: little... every every little detail where to get the components how to order it the order number from the manufacturer that's all there okay if in in fact i've gotten questions about i can't remember that they come in different forms but how much is one of your decoders how soon can you ship them this and that i don't sell anything at all everything that i ever publish is is given away i don't care if you make $14 or $14,000 on it, that's your problem, not mine. <laughs> you
0: worry about the IRS, we're not going to.
1: <laughs> now,
0: do you see, obviously in the Hustler, that's a just a uh, motion, you know, non-sound decoder. Do you see the ability to do sound? I would imagine it's, if you got to space, you can do it.
1: Well, as I, y- yes. You can actually, and you're, you're going to steal a future project, but oh, okay. the thing that I wanted to do, and the reason why the Hustler's there, yeah. uh, was if you look closely at the Hustler, it's been remotored. That's Yeah. Not, that's not the standard motoring for the Hustler. Well, those gears are dirt cheap, the motor's dirt cheap, and you put the board in there, and you've got all kinds of space in the shell that so much space in the shell you could fit that little sound module and you can fit one of those remember the speaker i said didn't need a a baffle with it, it was yeah. well that thing is so flat it'll fit under the hood of the cab so i one of the things i intended to do and i haven't gotten around to doing it is cramming everything in there with the new decoder, and uh, you know, working some horn sound or something. But there's a couple of things that you could do. I haven't gotten around to doing it yet, but yes, it's possible. The 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 reason why I've been hesitant to do it for a long time, ever since these first came out with the motor control, is that these are getting they're they're creeping up to the capability of a commercial decoder. They don't have nearly some of the key features that I'd like in a commercial decoder. You know, like you were saying you were talking about speed mapping. No speed mapping in this. No back EMF. You know, all the bells and and whistles and uh, wh- uh, whizzies are gone. This is a bare bones kind of decoder. I have no intentions at all of revving it up to make it head for head with a commercial decoder. Uh, and I don't even want people to go there, even though people are going there. I've got some recent requests from modelers about uh, uh, the speed tables and some other odds and ends. And, you know, it's, it's not something I, I really want to do. But no, all the sketches are available. The, I can tell you that the decoder sketches, some of them have gotten pretty complex. Uh, so they're not for the uh, you know, the, the meek, but uh, they're all available. If somebody really wanted to take them and continue to do interesting things with them. And in fact, there are some modelers that have taken and modified them in a couple of different ways and built their own boards.
0: But if I took that small little package you have there and put your or put the Arduino, the soundboard with the USB, sound card right if I put that in a reefer I can run
1: reefer sounds Yep, lots and lots of room lots and lots of space
0: yeah because even well I've put them in for people but the last time I saw them I mean that was still $30 yeah
1: well this if if you if you use the the uh the board the, the the nice little board You can put all that together for uh, 5 plus 3 is 8 bucks. Now, if you added the sound module, that's going to be another uh, couple of bucks. (laughs) Another couple
0: of bucks.
1: (laughs) The speaker is, uh, I think, $0.69 or something, depending on where you get it. I mean, it's still relatively low cost.
0: Yeah, especially with the proliferation of smartphone speakers that are out there that are just inexpensive and yeah. having amazing fidelity to them.
1: You bet. I mean, some of them are very, very good. And some of them, uh, if you're careful about what you get, you don't need to have to, you don't have to build an enclosure for them. Uh, but you know, it really depends on what you want to do with them. But you were talking about putting it in a reefer that, you know, having the, uh, the compressor noise come on and off would be incredibly easy to do uh, once you got the 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 clip that is the compressor noise that you were satisfied with. There's a uh, a blog in uh, an article in, in my blog that uh, talks about uh, redoing uh, an idea that John Allen had. John Allen uh, created this car. Had a um, a, uh, a piece like two rails, and it had a rolling. Um, this a ball, ball bearing, wasn't it? ball bearing. Now, uh, he did something clever. The ball bearing, if it rolled too far on either end of the track, would actually go off the track into uh, a, a, like a little contained bucket and uh, throw a switch the switch would turn on a red light behind the wheels of the car so that it made it look like it was uh, a hot box on fire. And that... I, was, rem- I remember that, that. That was his contribution. Well, my article tells how to use the equivalent of what you see with the decoder driving a little sound module so that you have the car completely enclosed, but you have, uh, I took um, a big ball bearing like John did, took an N scale track and curved it and put it inside a box car with the ball bearing on it. And if it hit a switch at either end of the travel, the Arduino would select one of about six different sounds of things breaking, like glass breaking, metal breaking, you know, I think one of them was an explosion. Right. So that was the update to, to you know, to the uh, the John Allen idea. And uh, I often will demo that in a clinic, too, because that's just a lot of fun.
0: Oh, and that's one way. It, some clubs, people insist on running at 90 miles an hour. That would be one way to oh, uh, control it through humiliation.
1: Yeah. <laughs> if you change the bend in the rails, if you you make the bend smaller and smaller, it makes it more and more sensitive to the movement.
0: Yeah. The other application is uh, a generator sound because you can modify a box car to be the power car since we no longer have, you know, some diesels don't have hotel power, head-in power well, capability. So we put a, you know, a, a generator on a car behind a steam locomotive. Oh, just all kinds of opportunities for something this small.
1: Yeah, the the other possibility is a slug with a diesel.
0: Yeah. Wow. Or we could put people on the rear platform of a heavyweight uh, observation car and have a little servo motor that we could simulate them having too much beer, and it would come around and. Tip knock one up, moth.
1: Hey, they could bend over the end really, and then you can generate some interesting sound. Yes. <laughs> 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 oh,
0: yes. Ralph. Oh, gosh. We could just take this to disgusting levels.
1: <laughs> I would like to call them fun levels.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, we had. Uh, at the cliffs that I had built there for Bob and an affair with trains that went around the, the uh, two main lines, we were going to get, uh, I think Preaser or somebody makes uh, mountain climbers, you know, people scaling cliffs. And we are going to put a rope and put one of these guys coming down this rock face, and then there's a, uh, a grim reaper <laughs> figure and put him up in one of the pine trees. Is a little uh, twisted humor there. <laughs> I like doing stuff like that. Oh gosh, I've got uh, one of the farmhouses on the uh, the railroad that's done. It's an old farmhouse that's weathered up, and there's a it's got an outhouse with it, and. uh I leaned a lawnmower, an old push lawnmower up against the side of it. When he was cutting the grass, nature called. So uh, you got to have fun. So you even my wife picked up on that. She said, oh, I see the lawnmower by the uh, outhouse. <laughs> went, yes. Oh, gosh. Oh, this is. All right. So this stuff is no longer looking like a sheet of. Uh, Chinese letters and uh, to me, it's it's starting to make sense now.
1: So here's the thing with with all the decoders and all the variations, you don't have to know anything at all about programming. You you build you build a little board or you wire your own little board. Uh, you connect a cable to the Arduino. You download the sketch. You're done. You've got all the functionality there in the decoder. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have the ability to modify it. You can still play games with all the CVs and control it. You can go and reprogram it if you want. But as I will often tell modelers, I am not an advocate of you going to go and learn how to program in order to use all this stuff. You don't have to. There's now, it
0: does interface with JMRI, does it not?
1: Ah, uh, we haven't gotten to that part yet. Okay. Okay, this, this decoder, uh, as near as I've been able to tell, given all of the reports that have come back, will work with any DCC standard base station. So it works with virtually everything that I know of, maybe even a bunch that I don't know about. Okay, now if you want to generate uh, DCC signals, instead of responding to them with a, dec- a decoder, you need to look at the first project and the first part of this article. That's about something called DCC++. And that is caught my attention for one reason. Okay. It's dirt simple. Now, we've already gone through and talked about Shields plugging into an Arduino Uno. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a thing uh, uh, called a motor shield. And I think there's at least two, maybe three variations that are made. But you can still get the original one, which is the one I showed. And I show people where to get it. You take that motor shield, you plug it into the Uno, and you add, I think, two wires. And I think I even have a picture of that. Can we show the
0: motor shield on yeah uh, figure two
1: yeah figure four okay see so a white wire and a tiny little red wire on that are just plugged into those sockets. That's the entire wiring you have to do.
0: Other wow, than
1: motor shield in, and I was stunned. the 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 gentleman's name, who I cited in the article, his first name is Greg did a superlative job, in my opinion, of creating a base station that will generate the DCC signals with those two boards. And you could see in figure uh, four, the red and the black on the bottom is the power going into the, the, uh, the shield and the Arduino. Yeah. It's, in this particular case, it's 12 volts, but it can be, I think, up to 16 or 18 volts. But you got to change a jumper to do it. Uh, in my case, all I wanted to do is demonstrate simplicity, so I actually powered this with 12 volts. The white and the yellow wire coming out of that same uh, six connector uh, terminal uh, is the the typical wires that go to the track. Okay. And two connectors would go to a programming track, and I have not fooled with this at all to do programming. I tried it, and it, it did so-so. Uh, I I really don't want to go there. I had no intentions at all of doing any programming with, with the DCC++. Okay. But I was so astonished, in all honesty, and I think I talk about that in the article, that this thing was dead simple. Two boards, two jumpers, and you're done. You load the software, and you've got a fully... Uh, a fully uh, operational interconnect to JMRI. So this, in effect, is another really low-cost JMRI interface that'll go from your JMRI running on your PC or laptop or whatever through a USB connector that you can see in figure four, and then it goes right to the track. And that's it. And it is amazing that it works. Now, there's lots of additional capability that that Greg added uh, that I didn't need. In another blog article, Tinkering with DCC++, uh, I simplified what he was using. And in fact, I used a third shield that was an incredibly dumb, simple LCD uh, display with a set of I think six or seven buttons and I did two things with that I made a controller for a locomotive and I made a controller for accessories now the reason I was interested in that was I do a lot of diorama work and I I build a lot of accessories that need control unto themselves and for the longest time I've been promoting that, you know, you can run your a separate DCC bus for switching and for animation and lighting. And that's what I do. And that's what I've been trying to build towards. So here's another way of creating the control for a DCC bus that's relatively simple, relatively low cost. And that's DCC++. I did not write, well, I'll take it back. The The basis of this I wrote no code for. Okay. was when I added the LCD display and buttons, I had to put together code for that that uh, changed some of the DCC++ code. But you can take Greg's code exactly the way he wrote it, put it in, and it works. The only difficulty I had uh, was with the Decoder Pro. I couldn't get it to read and write whole pages. I had a comment posted by... Another modeler that he was able to get it to work, I was never able to get it to work right, and I don't know why. Uh, but beyond that, it was incredibly useful, and it worked as an as a interface to JMRI. Now, let me tell you the implication of that. You can take these two boards, slap them together, connect them to JMRI, and then take your iPhone with the, the throttle app, and with that throttle app through JMRI, you can control your trains with DCC++, and that's it. So you, all of a sudden, you are able to put together you know, an incredibly cheap demo, or if you wanted to do a time saver module as a, <clears throat> to bring it to a, an exhibition or a show or use it in, the, in, in your club layout, I mean, it's all kinds of variations now that you can take advantage of, because the cost just goes to the, you know, into the dirt. Um, now, granted, I mean, it's still it's going to cost you. I can't remember. It's less than fifteen bucks. Okay. You know so, but compared to a commercial base station, I mean, come on, it's it's like night and day. It's it's a, it's ten to a hundred times, well, ten times less expensive. Um, so that's a lot, and. It, you can modify it if you, you know you're so inclined to like like I am you know I, I really like to, to take it and play with it and see what I can actually do with it. Um, but there's there's value here and the uh, Greg who put this thing together you know started a whole wave of activity based on his design. There's a, a two uh, there's Dave Merrill and Dave Bodner on the MRH forum okay. Have done other things with them and experimented with them. And Dave Bodner's built a uh, a throttle, a standalone throttle, uh, uh, for DCC++. So there's there's been all kinds of interesting variations that people, great, really creative people, have come up with that I think are worthwhile. And I included it in the article just to tell people about it because very few people, when I talked to them, knew anything about it at all. Uh, But I did think it was worthwhile. So, and, and naturally enough, you can build DCC++, you can build my decoder variations, and you can drive those decoders off of a DCC bus powered by DCC++, and it all works. Cool. That's amazing. The fact that it all works always amazes me, especially when it's one of my designs. Well, yeah. (laughs) Oh, he's happy to see that it works. (laughs) Yeah, it's,
0: you know, it's like going out and getting milk out of your own cows versus, hey, why don't I just go to the store and buy a quart?
1: Yeah. You know, and I don't think that this thing is ever going. Well, there are people who think otherwise, but in my opinion, it's, it's, I don't think that this challenges the the commercial base stations, which have a lot more capability, a lot more features, you know, a lot more uh, things that you get to play with without putting in a lot of work. But there are people like me that like to tinker with stuff and like to try, you know, different variations out and, you know, kind of look at something and say, I wonder if you could do that.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: I wonder if you could model something like that. Or I wonder if, wonder if you can get this to drive a semaphore, you know, so that it'll stop in, in, in mid-transition just at the right spot. Stuff like that. It's a challenge, and I enjoy the challenge, and I enjoy uh, tinkering, so it goes hand in hand.
0: Well, parallel is like when you and I were younger and you could buy a, a, a Heath radio kit. You bet. And... Oh wow! I can listen to AM radio in my room at night, and <laughs> Arduino is kind of like that because you do build it. Uh, there's a, especially the young kids, like this kind of stuff.
1: Absolutely, and the the, the, the in in tune with that, I think you hit upon something really important. There's a been. A lot of discussion, some of which is actually useful, um, about getting young people into the hobby. Yeah. I think that this is a lever to get young people into the hobby. Arduinos are being used in grade school, in middle school, in high school, in college. They're in use at MIT in research. I mean, they are all over the place. Why? Because they're easy to use. And they're just powerful enough to do really interesting things.
0: I was not aware of that. That's amazing.
1: It is truly amazing. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, I had a couple of modelers call uh, or write and say, "I really need help on this. Do you have any suggestions?" And I said, "Well, it's difficult, you know, to debug stuff from 3,000 miles away, or to tell you how to learn, you know, how to this or put this together." or how to read the numbers on a component, what I suggest you do is find somebody locally that's interested in this. And you know they usually come back and say, well, nobody at my club's interested in it, or they don't have time, or this and that. And I said, have you ever thought of talking to your grandson, or your granddaughter, or you know somebody down the street that's interested in this stuff, they probably have seen it. And they may be able to help you out with it. And of course, a bunch of people get very embarrassed by that. But, you know, it's like picking up a cell phone. I don't know if I use half the features on my cell phone. My son picks it up and he tells me about at least a quarter of the features I'm not using that I really ought to be using. <laughs> you know, you, you can get that information from lots of different sources. But you will not be the least amazed to learn that if you Google Arduino and virtually anything, a problem, an opportunity. A device, uh, you know, something that you want to control, something that you want to do, you will come back with pages and pages and pages likely of things that have already been done that are relevant to what you're interested in. It's truly amazing. Not to digress too much on that point, but there are actually variations of Arduino that are specifically designed to be embedded in clothing. Say what? To be embedded, to be put Oof. inside clothing.
0: To what purpose?
1: Believe it or not, to light up LEDs. <laughs> okay. To put sensors together so that the, the patterns change when somebody approaches you. To put sound together with your wardrobe. I mean, there are stuff that, that's being seriously looked at <laughs> that makes some of my animations look like, you know, just. Incredibly basic things, uh, but there's lots of interesting things you can do.
0: My mind just flashed to a picture of Kim Kardashian with <laughs> her, her rear end lighting up because there was an Arduino <laughs> built into her pants. You know,
1: okay, you know, I wouldn't hold my breath about that.
0: <laughs> it may have already been done,
1: yeah, it may have already been done. Hard to say. It,
0: okay, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's been done that uh, is available. And because it's all open, people share it. And, and there's leverage in that. And people are starting to take advantage of that. I mean, even if you look at all the, the projects and variations in the, the two articles, there's probably over 70 variations on, of, of sketches and projects that are there that, you know, you can take up and load and away you go. and You can start running with it. And that's part of the advantage is that you can share this stuff.
0: Yeah, open framework. Yeah. That's great. Well, it's, you know, the basis of uh, the JMRI uh, experience. You got it. So, I had never used JMRI that much. A friend of mine who, you know, years ago showed me how to do DCC uh, installs, you know, uncloak the mystery there. He said, why don't you do this manually, learn what the CVs are, what the values, how the impact is on the performance, and then you can get into JMRI. And so I started doing that, and I just never loaded JMRI. So the other day I was doing my first Tsunami 2 install, on one of my own locomotives so we can have a conversation with Georgia Soundtracks on uh, the experience. And I went, okay, this is a little more complex than your basic tsunami. Maybe I'll give uh, JMRI a a try here. So I now have JMRI on my computer, but I need the manual to learn how to do it properly. So things are changing. They're just always changing. New things to learn.
1: There's there's so many... Well, like a cell phone, there's so many functions now uh, in JMRI. I probably never use half of them. But That's right. it's nice to know they're there. Can you play solitaire like you can on your phone? <laughs> <laughs> there's one other use for the decoder. You you brought something up that, that okay. I brought it to mind. If you build even the simplest LED decoder that, that will you know, turn on uh, 17 LEDs with 17 functions, there's actually a value to it. And the value is uh, to set the address to uh, a decoder, uh, the same as the decoder that you're installing in a loco or first time install, or you've got some kind of trouble with a particular uh, loco in its decoder. Set it to the same address. Put the decoder with the LEDs uh, on the same track and every time you activate something on the, the the Loco, you'll see the activation and whether or not it went through function by function, uh, assuming you have all the 17 LEDs wired. Yeah. You'll see the same on the decoder. I use it for debugging a lot. And to oh. see whether or not you're actually sending out uh, the right function and whether or not it's being received by the, the Loco. But it, it saved me a couple of times by doing that.
0: Excellent idea. Excellent. Okay, are there any other aspects of this you want to talk about?
1: Well, the the, the thing that that both of the articles don't really deal with, it, uh, except for the video in the second article about the float plane, on yeah yeah uh, number eight. Uh, animation is is what started all this. Um, Response to lots and lots of different modelers is what uh, drove it in other directions. A lot of the ideas for this came from other modelers. No one person holds the the corner on great ideas or good ideas. That certainly is the case with this. Uh, I don't think I'd come up with half of the variations if other modelers haven't said, could you do this? Could it do this? How do I do this? How do I model it? However... The original intent, and my great love, is an animation. Yeah. And the neat thing about uh, using decoders is that two wires can be fed to your layout to feed power and control to lots of different things. And if you've got a DCC decoder on the other end of those wires, uh, you can use JMRI or you can use a lot of other things. A dcc plus plus i actually have uh, a a thing i call a dcc function generator that'll send out functions uh, turn things on and off timed which i use for animation but the fact that you only have to run two wires around the layout is a great benefit and the fact that you can generate the dcc signal to control things that have nothing to do with the track Nothing to do with your logos, nothing to do with track switches, and it can be completely separate and be cost-effective. That's neat. Uh, so the kind of, of uh, uh, animations that I deal with combine elements of light, motion, sound, the synchronization of the three, and all in combination to tell a story. That's to me what animation's all about. Just like a, a really good scene that's built on a layout, in effect, tells a story. You're drawn into the scene because things are going on in the scene that's intricate, that's complex. And the scene, if it's done really, really well, is telling a story. No movement, sometimes no lighting, sometimes no sound. Sometimes only partial elements of it. But when you take a scene and you animate it and tell a story, lots of neat things happen. And that's why I did all of this stuff and why, to me, Arduinos are neat, because you've got the control to go and do that. And that uh, uh, video of the float plane is an example of what drove me to combine uh, Arduinos and DCC. In that particular float plane, there's actually a heavily modified uh, Digitrack sound decoder that's being driven with an Arduino that's under the dock where the little guy is. Oh, okay. The little guy has the ability to wave his arms and in synchrony with the sound, well, it turns out that was a challenge uh, that if you didn't have the Arduino, you probably couldn't do, just flat out couldn't do it. So, The combination is what forced me into thinking, well, how am I going to go and do all this? And that was one of the examples that combined all of the elements. And in fact, it tells a story. So if you play that video, it's a story about down at the dock and what happens down at the dock. Uh, And they're trying to uh, test out the the engine of the float plane. So all of that was done. uh, The float plane is a heavily uh, rebuilt uh, model. It's actually a heavily rebuilt toy. It's got uh, LEDs in the wings, it's got LEDs inside, it's got a gear motor, it's got a its own sound system. The guy on the dock is independently operated. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that all need to be coordinated, and coordinated down almost to actually to the millisecond, because the sound clips match the movement uh, and, and all I, I think is pretty obvious when you, you put it together, but that's the area that uh, I've been working in and telling a story with uh, animation is really the next big thing uh, that I'm after with all this. The There's another thing that may in fact be as big, but uh, it's still pretty experimental. I used a set of Arduinos and DCC, uh, and built a working dynamometer car, which is also a blog article that's incomplete. But this dynamometer car measures the, the uh, pull, the, the tractive effort of uh, a model locomotive. And what I found out when I was doing research on dynamometer cars, is that they were not used in a, on a special track or anything. They would be testing uh, the design of a new locomotive, typically steam, and they would take it out on normal runs, normal freights, normal passenger runs, and they wanted to test the performance of the locomotive on the line. And that really caught my attention. I didn't quite realize that when I first saw it. So that kind of started the challenge of, I wonder if you could do that in HO scale. So the working dynamometer car measures the tractive force locomotive. But in the middle of doing that, I decided, well, what else can you do? Well, the things that I'd like to know isn't just the pull of the locomotive. I'd like to know what's the voltage on the track. Oh. Right? And I'd also like to know what's the distance traveled. So, I wound up with putting together an Arduino system that uh, took a, I think it was a, a combine, an old combine, similar to what the railroads actually did, uh, put a load sensor in it to measure the tractive force, uh, rigged up a circuit to measure the, uh, the voltage on the rails, uh, used a TAC system that I built into uh, one of the trucks. It had two six wheel trucks and uh, took all of that with an Arduino and used a little radio module. Uh, well, before I did that, on the side of the car, in the window of the baggage door, there's a little display on either side of the car that shows you the tractive, uh, the, the uh, pull tractive effort of the the locomotive, the pull of locomotive, and the voltage on the track as it's going around. And that led to taking that data together with the distance traveled and transmitting that back with a little tiny transmitter that the Arduino controlled in in the uh, dynamometer car, and then built another display that charted those out. Well, I got carried away with it as no- I normally do. And I didn't just take the data. I took the data and I stored it on one of those little uh, SD memory cards. So now I had the pull at any given point, the voltage on the track, the distance on the track, and I also can tell you the speed at any given point since I knew time and distance. So I was able to take all that data, put it on a memory card, and I could take that memory card and read it into an Excel spreadsheet and then plot out the entire plot of the whole run, wherever it went on the layout. Yeah. Now, that actually was tried on, on, I guess, two or three layouts. And sure enough, it shows up crossing frogs. It shows up when... you have a long train and it's starting to go uphill and the engine comes to the top of the hill. And as it's pulling each car up over the crest of the hill, the tractive uh, force is dropping step by step as each car crests the hill. But the interesting thing was not that. It was the voltage reading around the uh, layout. For the first time, you actually had a plot over the distance of the run, on real track, on the layout, in about a quarter-inch increments of where the track was good and where it wasn't, what was actually uh, providing a solid voltage and what was not. And that got me to thinking in a whole new way about, you know, we don't have very many tools that actually will tell you what condition your layout is all over the layout. Okay. Uh, but I think that, and then of course, somebody, when I posted it on my blog, somebody immediately writes in and said, well, can you measure the different, the distance between the rails?" And I'm thinking, I don't know how to measure the distance between the rails, but it got to be a very interesting thing because if you had all that information and you could measure the distance between the rails, you would really have an incredible tool That would tell you when you were out of gauge in or out of gauge at different parts of your layout, just by running a train over the layout. So that's a whole set of projects to do what I'm calling now layout wide tools that I think might generate some interest somewhere along the way. And it doesn't have to, you don't have to build a dynamometer car to do that, but if you had the voltage at every point in the layout and you had the distance between the rails, you would have a really interesting diagnostic tool for your layout. Anyway, I think somewhere along the way, I'm probably going to get back into that.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, did you
1: use... uh, All Arduino-based.
0: When you did your uh, wrecking crane with the uh, micromotors... Did you use Arduino for the control back then?
1: No. I used a heavily modified uh, Digitrack sound decoder. Digitrack sound decoders are not noted for the all-time best sound. However, (laughs) they have one property that very few... There's only one other decoder that I know of has this property, and that is you can actually reprogram the entire guts of the decoder. And... When I built the crane, the crane didn't have the kind of control or needed the kind of control that a diesel or steam locomotive needed. It needed different things. And so, uh, and in fact, I needed to be able to control uh, three motors. So there's no decoder that could do that. And I wasn't that heavily into, in fact, I hadn't built an Arduino DCC decoder at that point. But I had come across the ability to reprogram Digitrex sound decoders, and that's what I did. Okay. The so control mechanism inside the decoder, which also everything was published with the article for somebody else to go and do to their own decoder. Uh, all the sounds were recordings from uh, an SP 120-ton maintenance-away crane, uh, except for the whistle, which came from – a crane in Vermont. <clears throat> Excuse me, and um, all of the controls were redone by me. Uh, so that was a just a standard decoder, but it was you know completely reprogrammed for sound and control. But
0: does Arduino lend itself to a project like that?
1: It could. If I had to redo it over again, I'm not a hundred percent sure whether I would use an Arduino or not. The Arduino gives me a lot of flexibility. Uh, I can tell you that the Digitrax decoder was about half the size of uh, the DCC decoders that with that little board that I put out. Yeah. Um, so I may it may have been forced uh, because of size to continue to use a, a Digitrax decoder.
0: Okay. Well, especially when you're talking about step motors a while ago, I thought, That would allow you to really control the boom, the rotation, and stuff like that very accurately.
1: As it turned out, by using gear motors um, and spindles, uh, I didn't need that. Okay. Uh, But the repeatability of of it raising and lowering would have been much, much better if I had used uh, steppers.
0: All right. That's amazing. So, yeah, a- because if you look at the gauge, the track gauge, and you, you know, you compare that to the current draw, the amps, uh, you know, if you've got a narrow gauge, you're pinching the wheels, so the coefficient of friction is going up. So, yeah, you could monitor, hey, I've got some tight track here. Yeah, amazing.
1: It, it's, it's amazing to look at the raw data. I've got an offer from two clubs locally in Portland to run it over their layout. And one of them is really hot to trot for me to do it. I just haven't found the time to go and do it, but I honestly believe that there's some real value to it probably in ways that I haven't even, you know, even thought about yet.
0: Oh, good heavens. Yes, absolutely.
1: But you could literally see the, the, um, The difference in effort on the logo as it took its train around a curve and up and over a hill. It was amazing to see. You can tell when it's going downhill with the whole train, when it's cresting the peak, when it's on a level, and when it's on a curve. Uh, I was not prepared for that. I didn't expect to see that.
0: Yeah, that that is intriguing. I love data like that. Intriguing.
1: Yeah, if you, if you go to the blog article, the raw data from the two earliest runs that I made are both on there. Okay, is that a on the MRH yeah. site? Yes. Okay. Yeah, if you go d- under my blogs, look for uh, "Working Dynamometer Car." Okay. And there's a download of um, the raw data and the spreadsheet, and all you've got to do is copy the file into the spreadsheet uh, in, in the right location, and all of a sudden, all the graphs pop up. It's all done automatically. Really cool application of Excel.
0: Now I'm intrigued. I'm going to go look at that. This is a lot of neat information here.
1: Well, there's a lot of fun stuff you can do. I mean, there's, yes. even, there's even way more fun stuff than this.
0: Well, I can see a follow-up to this. In six months or so, as you progress on these projects,
1: yeah, there's a project I hope to uh, finish this summer that uh, is just going to be a hoot. It's just going to be raw fun, and it's uh, an a-, a complex animation. So look for that Look for that to come out later this year. Okay. Uh, Jeff,
0: thanks for the time. Enjoyed it immensely. Very informative.
1: Okay, Paul, have fun.
0: All right. Thank you, Jeffrey. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.